Well, I want to give you two texts. Uh, I want you to, to uh, go to Romans 2, and that's going to be text number 1, and then 2 Peter chapter 3. Romans 2 and 2 Peter chapter 3. And the series title <clears throat> that we're beginning today is, What Do I Do Now? And the title of this message is, Soften My Heart. We are living in chaotic times. Would you agree with that? <clears throat> We're living in chaotic times. The world is in chaos. Our country is in chaos. The state of politics is chaotic. Uh, the economy worldwide <clears throat> is chaotic. I have lived through some unsteady times, but I cannot remember any more <clears throat> unsteady time than the day in which we are living. In America, we have this tendency to think that if we <clears throat> elect the right candidate, everything will settle down. If we can just get the guy that we want <clears throat> or the lady that we want, then everything will settle down, and that will fix everything. It's better to elect the right candidate than the wrong candidate, but no candidate can fix what's in, going on in the world today. Here's what I believe. <clears throat> I believe with all of my heart, the rapture, that is the calling up of the church into the air to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, <clears throat> and the su subsequent second coming when He comes and reigns on this earth, I believe that the second coming, the coming of Jesus Christ is near. I honestly believe that. You young athletes, I think that it's entirely possible <clears throat> that you may not see the end of your life because the Lord will come prior <clears throat> to that end. I really believe that. As I was coming along as a young preacher, I can remember old preachers saying that if Christ doesn't come soon, God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> for destroying them. And I understand that. And I think some of my preacher friends that are now gone on <clears throat> would be amazed. There's the birch right there. Uh, would be amazed if they came back here <clears throat> to life right now and saw the condition of, of our world. I want to give you a passage that's going to be kind of a theme. We're going to have a seven-series theme of messages. And the theme of the messages, as, as I said, is what do I, <clears throat> what do I do now? And here's the theme for it. Second Peter chapter three and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved <clears throat> and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now that is going to be a part of our text in the third message in this series, which I've already finished. But it is our theme throughout the series. If Jesus is coming again, and if his coming <clears throat> is soon, what sort of people should we be? What do I do now? 
Now get this in clear perspective. We're taking a look at the world today, but more specifically, we're taking a look at ourselves individually. And I'm not going to ask you to fix the world because you can't. I am going to ask you to do what you can about fixing yourself. And we'll see seven things. There's far more than seven, but we'll see seven things in this series. When the coming of the Lord, with the coming of the Lord a reality and the signs of His coming ever growing, what can I do? Well, here's the first thing. The first thing that I, and we're going to make this very personal, and I want you to take it personal. We're going to say, I can soften my heart. Romans chapter 2, our text, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's said that somewhere in the early part of the 20th century that the London Times, the newspaper of London, sent out an inquiry to some famous authors, and there's plenty of famous authors in England. They sent out an inquiry, and the question was, what's wrong with the world today? And one very famous author, G.K. Chesterton, responded by simply saying, dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. He said, I am what's wrong with the world today. I am the problem with the world. And until we stop blaming everybody else or anybody else and begin to see what role we play in the condition of our world today, it is unlikely that it's going to get better. You probably will not fix the hate and division that's in the world around you. You probably will not fix the issues between uh, the races. You will probably not fix economic issues. There are a lot of issues that I could run through that you will probably not fix. You're probably not going to fix uh, world terrorism. That's probably not going to happen. You're probably not going... to fix that. You just can't do it. However, you can fix you. You don't have the ear of of any world leader. I've had the privilege one time of meeting Benjamin Netanyahu. I met him in Jerusalem, in a small conference room with a few other people and had the privilege of speaking to him face to face. 
Now, could I tell you that I do not have his phone number? And I would not be able to call him up and say, if you'd only do this, then that would be fixed. I saw the president's motorcade one time. But I am not able to speak to the president. Neither are you. You are not able to, <clears throat> to offer up advice. And quite honestly, beyond voting and supporting those in leadership who we think should be there, we can only do something about ourselves. And so that's why I titled the message, What Do I Do Now? Entitled the series, What Do I Do Now? Because you're not going to do anything to fix everything. But you can do something to fix you. What should we do about ourselves? What should we be? How can we make sure that we're the right kind of person in light of uh, the decay in the world around us and, and all of the chaos? Well, as our text says, the first thing to do is speak to the condition of our hearts, and that's what I want to do. I want to talk about <clears throat> the condition of my heart, and I want you to think about the condition of your heart. Here's what I'd like for you to say. I want you to say, the condition of my heart. If you will, just say that with me. The condition of my heart. I I, I really want everybody to say it, okay? The condition of my heart. Not somebody else's in here. Not some other group of people but the condition of my heart. What can I do with the condition of my heart? Well, to that end, the softening of our hearts, the first thing to do is to understand that we are living in a time and in a world when we are without excuse. We, that is you and me, all of us, fall into the trap of measured Christianity. Do you know what measured Christianity is? Measured Christianity is the Christianity that says, I know that I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as that person. I know that I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not doing what those people are doing. I know that I'm not perfect, and on and on and on it goes. And so what we do is we have measured Christianity. We think to ourselves, if I was like them, I would be ashamed. Or we write people off who make decisions that we wouldn't make and who take a path that we would never take. We just write them off. It's not enough for us to disagree with them. We feel like we have to do more. We have to judge them. We have to disdain them. Just disdain them. I just can't stand those people or that kind of person or this sin group or that sin group. I just can't stand them. And and quite honestly, it's an evidence that There's something going on inside of us. They may have a problem, and it may be a legitimate problem. But there's something going on inside of you if your heart is hardened 
toward God or toward anybody who God loves. We have to come to an understanding that our hearts need to be right. We have to understand that God loves the very people that we disdain. That God loves the people that turns our stomach. And what does God's Word say to me about that? What does God's Word say to you about that? About our our disdain, our judgmental attitude toward people that God loves. He may hate their sin, and He does hate sin. But what does God say to us about our judgmental attitude toward people that though they are sinners, Christ died for them, and God loves them? Well, again, going back to our text, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Let's take a look at that. First of all, let's, let's do a little risk evaluation. One of the most quoted lines from any Shakespearean work is this line from Hamlet, Methinks the lady doth protest too much, which is actually a misquote. <clears throat> the actual quote, though no real difference is made, is the lady doth protest too much, methinks. More than once in my life as a pastor, and I've been a pastor for a long time now. I've been in God's, I've been in God's work for since 1973, and I believe that would be 43 years. So I've been in God's work for 43 years. I've been a pastor for more than 40 years. In my time as a pastor, I've had to evaluate and reevaluate how loudly I protest against this sin or against that sin. I have to constantly reevaluate whether or not I am I am off on a hobby horse about something. And why am I off on that, that topic? And why am I spending so much time on that topic? I have to evaluate whether or not I'm placing myself <clears throat> in judgment of others by having such strong judgment against others. And if there's not something like that going on in my life. Now that being said, if I waited until everything was perfect in my life before preaching the truth or the perfection of God's Word, then I'd never be able to utter a sentence. And just because I don't sit in judgment on or try not to sit in judgment on the, the sins that I disdain of other people doesn't make their sin more palatable to me or make me think that God uh, is, is okay with that. I have to learn the balance of being able to love God and to love the people that God loves even while they are yet sinners. Some of the best theology that I ever learned came from Miss Copeland. I don't even remember Miss Copeland's first name, and quite honestly, I can't remember if she was my third or fourth grade teacher. I think she may have been my third grade teacher, but it could have been my fourth grade teacher. I know that I had Miss Hudgens for first grade because Miss Hudgens gave me a spanking the first week of school. I'll never forget Miss Hudgens. And then I know that Miss Stackhouse was my second grade teacher. 
And I think, I'm not sure, but I think Miss Copeland was my third. I, 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 don't, I don't know. She was a teacher that I had way back when. Probably my third grade teacher. <clears throat> and I learned something, so, some great theology from her. The first few days of school, and this is what it used to be like in public school. <clears throat> the first few days of school, uh, first few weeks, she stood up and we began every day by reading 1 Corinthians 13. She'd read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And then we would say, we'd have a prayer, and then we would stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance. How many of you went to a public school where something like that took place? Did you raise your hand? Yeah. <clears throat> it ruined us, didn't it? Um, but in the course of, of her teaching, she made this statement that I did not understand at the time at all, but I never have forgotten it. She made this statement. She said, there, but by the grace of God, go I. And she would emphasize that. Young people, remember that there, but by the grace of God, go I. Okay, we'll remember. What does that mean? We didn't know what it meant. But as I grew older, I came to understand that she was talking about living a judgmental life, that she was talking about judging somebody else based on their behavior, judging somebody else based on physical issues, judging somebody else based on their color or their culture, judging somebody else based on their mental abilities or their emotional challenges. And Miss Copeland warned me about the hypocrisy of judging others without ever mentioning it. She warned me that this is a risk that we run in our lives of judging other people and not realizing that there, but by the grace of God, go I. This message is about a hardened heart and who we are and how we are to soften it up a bit. And the first thing to do is to think about how quickly you or I place judgment on somebody else. It is a risk, and here's why it's a risk, because of the reality. Well, what is the reality of the risk? Well, our text said, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you know what I hated the most? I'm, I'm the father of three sons. They're grown men now. Uh, my oldest son is Nathan's 37. Uh, Nathan's 37. My second son Matthew is 35. My youngest son Paul is 31. And and I'll tell you, there were some things. I really love those guys. Still love them. But there were some things, and still are some things that I despised about them. I just couldn't stand. I mean, just couldn't stand it. It would get on my last nerve. It would crawl all over me. And here's what it was. I could not stand those areas of weakness in their lives and those inconsistencies in their lives where I realized they were duplicating an inconsistency from my life, where I realized that they had caught something that I never taught them, where I realized that the problem they're having is my problem manifest through them, manifest in them. And, and it, was, it was a real hard thing for me to see my bad side front and center in their lives. But I saw it and saw it more than once. And if you think about it, 
you're that way too. We see oftentimes in other people the things that we disdain are the issues that we have in our own lives, especially if they are kin to us. Here's the way the Apostle Paul addressed it in Romans 7, 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know what I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. The, the reality is that when condemnation overrides compassion, there's probably a reason for it. The reason is most often that we have the very real problem in our lives that we're condemning in others. And what is the redress? What happens to you and me when when we live in this kind of hypocrisy of judgment? What happens to us? Well, what happens is we end up facing the judgment by which we have judged other people. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightfully falls on those who practice such things. Now, that has, can have a comical side. I've told you about Nathan and Matthew and Paul, our sons. But they have now children of their own. Nathan, two boys, Bradford and Harper. Paul, two girls, Emerson and Avery. <clears throat> and what I love, absolutely love, is to see that the things that drove me crazy about my sons are now driving them crazy about their children. Errol, that blesses me. It does something for me, and I cannot wait for them to be teenagers. One of the most awesome things in the world will be to watch my teenage grandsons make my son Nathan's life Pure and living H-E double hockey sticks. I just can't wait for that. (laughs) Those two words from our text, rightly falls. It says the judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. That means for good reason, judgment falls on the hypocrite. For good reason, it falls on us. So the first thing that we need to see if we're going to fix ourselves. In a, in a world that is falling apart that we can't fix, we can fix something ourselves. And the first thing we can do is see that we are without excuse and stop doing those things that cause us to get in the, the line of, of judgment. Soften our hearts a little bit. Not only are we without excuse, but we're without escape. Verse 3 of our text says, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think you're going to get by with that? The, the book titled Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me argues that our tendency is to justify our actions and that that tendency is more powerful and deceptive than we think. The book went on and it asked, Uh, a group of women. How much of the housework do you do? How much of the work around the house do you do? And the women said, 90%. That was the general answer. There's some that gave more, some that gave less, but 90%. Then the average guy they asked said 40%. Now, if you put those two together, there's a problem. And the problem is that there's not a sense of reality. That, that we don't really understand the reality of, of who we are and what we're doing. 
the, the book concludes that over time, as the self-control distortions of memory kicks in, we come to believe that our own lie come to believe our own lies little by little. Thus the title of the book, Mistakes Were Made, but Not by Me. This same route of rationalization makes every sermon about someone else, every problem uh, because of what's going on in Washington. None of our sins as bad as the ones of other people that they're committing. And the responsibility for everything is on somebody else's plate. Let let me just, I'll say it like this. Let me get it real personal. I love you, okay? These are my loving eyes. I love you. But already, already, and sitting in this room, already, Somebody has said, I wish so-and-so could hear this. You've already said it. You didn't say it out loud, but you thought it. I wish so-and-so could hear this. You know what the problem with that is? You're, You're rationalizing your own situation. You're into that comparison Christianity. Well, I'm not as bad as they are on this. I wish they were here to hear this and I was somewhere else. There are very few G.K. Chestersons in the world who'd say, I'm what's wrong with the world. And do you know why? Well, a lot of it is because we are without esteem. Not self-esteem, but esteem. The last two verses of our text basically tell us through Paul's letter to the Romans that we really do not respect the level of grace that's been granted to us. Somehow others need God's grace more than we do, we kind of pretty much kind of sort of deserve it. I am so glad that God gave grace to these people. They were a wreck. Me, on the other hand, grace was just kind of a little, it was sprinkles on the ice cream. I was already pretty sweet to start with. Verse 4 of our text, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. If you read that very carefully, there are several things that you can learn. First of all, we are presumptuous, just flat out. We are presumptuous. Think about being presumptuous in regard to the riches, the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience of God. We have become that way in America. We have become that way about Christianity. We are just presumptuous. We have truly forgotten that God's justice could have put us anywhere in the world, under any circumstances in the world, and God would still be just and right. We, <clears throat> if, if God had decided for us to be born in a third world country in extreme poverty, there is nothing that we could say about it. And there's certainly no complaint that we should offer in the fact that we were born in this great country and that we live under God's grace. God has been so good to us for so long that we think that he isn't good to us if we don't get it exactly like we want it when we want it. That's how good God has been to us for so long. If we don't get the weather exactly the way that we want it. By the way, we're that way about church. 
We, we are what I call it's designer church. We are in the day of the designer church. We not only want the name recognition, but we want it to be exactly the way that we want it. And you know, the reality is, if I plopped you up and put you down in, in a country in South or Central America or in Africa or in Eastern Europe or wherever, and I said, uh, you're going to go to church here today, you wouldn't recognize it. Yet the people in those churches are getting great blessings from God. We have come to the point, I have come to the point, me, Randy, I've got to fix my problem. You've got to fix yours. I have come to the point of having unrealistic and consistently uh, unfair expectations of God. I've had so much for so long, I want it all forever with no breaks, no gaps, none. You know the difference between many of us and our parents or our grandparents? My dad and mom lived through the Great Depression. And they know what it's like to truly suffer need. I don't. I don't. The worst story I can tell you about need in my life is sleeping on the floor one time when we moved from from Florida to Chattanooga for me to go to seminary, sleeping on the floor one night and, and laying on the floor and rolling up dirty, dirty clothes for our pillows and taking the rest of the dirty clothes and laying it over us for a blanket. And we slept one night like that. And if I told that story, I can tell it in such a way because I can tell some stories. If I told it in such a way, you'd go, wow, I never knew that he went through that. Well, that ain't nothing. We've had it so good for so long that we think, we, we think that when a, we have a cuticle tear, that's horrible. I mean, look, folks, instead of being overwhelmed by prosperity and blessing, we are most often not satisfied because it didn't come in the package we accepted or with the wrapping that we wanted. The sense of entitlement has all but, but killed the world in which we live. Now, here's, here's what, and I did hear some amens, and thank God for that. But here's what usually people are thinking about when they say amen, something like that. They're thinking about taxes, welfare, uh, <clears throat> EB, is it EBT cards, give, uh, food stamp type programs, and, and, and free health care and all that kind of thing. Look, I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. That's a whole nother thing. What I'm talking about is the church. We are entitled to have it exactly the way that we want it. We're entitled to have the church exactly one way. And, and we've got, <clears throat> we're like that Frank Luntz guy that's on Fox News that when they have the debates, he has them to dial up their good moments and their bad moments, you know, and whoa, look here, this is a good one that's going out. Oh, they didn't like that one. Whoa. That, that's, it would be interesting if all of you had dials. Trust me, that's never going to happen. <clears throat> but it'd be interesting if all of you had dials. Boy, Errol's singing, they're going... 
pegging out, whoa, 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 that's good, but it's all in one section. And then with the opening choir number, the song Forever by Carrie Job, while cranking out, whoa, 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 that is awesome, whoa, 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 whoa. But then, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open it. Oh, they're singing that again. Oh, hey, look, Pastor Ray's back from Argentina. Oh, he's going to preach. And we walk away from church on Sunday, and we talk about the dialed-up moments and the low moments. Usually the low moments more than the dialed-up moments. And do you know why? Because we are entitled Look, I know you're staring at me like a calf looking at a new gate, but you know that it's the truth, don't you? You know that it's the truth. We want it just exactly the way that we want it. We fit the church into a life that is stuffed with so much of God's blessings that we presume that we ought to have it exactly the way that we want it. We are so presumptuous, and we really miss the point. Have you ever wondered why God was so good to you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever realized how good He really is? Why is God so good to me? God's been so good to me. Why is God so good to me? Now, I've already told you that most of us think we deserve it. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. I got skills, I got talents, a lot of friends, hadn't hurt anybody. I mean, I do good things. God ought to be good to me. If we don't say that, and I know you don't, but you think it. You know why God's good to you? I'm, gonna, I'm getting ready to blow your socks off. Because when I read it earlier, you just, it just went right by. But I'm getting ready to blow you. Here's why God's good to you. You ready? Here you go. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. What about them apples? God's goodness is, is meant to embarrass you. God's goodness is meant to show you how great and good He is and how sorry we can be. That's what God's goodness is is for. That's the purpose of God's goodness. God is so good to you and me. The goodness should shed a light, shine a light on how unworthy we are for His goodness. We sing worship songs about how God's grace is amazing, and we should. We sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and we should. We truly get into the spirit of worship when we sing and, and, and when we're here and when we enjoy it and so forth. But the reality is that when we leave our places of worship, we go right back to missing the point. We go right back to missing the point of why God was so good to start with. <coughs> God is good to us to help us to see our own unworthiness. God is good to us to learn what Miss Copeland taught me in the third grade. Yet by the grace of God, there by the grace of God go I. God is good to us to show us our unworthiness. He is. 
I, I said earlier that we've got some phenomenal athletes on the base, in the baseball program and some phenomenal athletes over here in the track program and, and, and softball and on and on it goes. Some great athletes. Do you know why you're so good at what you do? Because I'm just good that way. Mm-mm. Watch this. God has got this finger. And he just flowered you. I think I'm going to make them able to throw a fastball like nobody's business. I think I'm going to make this girl a hitter that's just, un- oh, she's over here, I'm going to make her a hitter. She's unbelievable. That guy needs to be able to sing. I mean, what do you want? Where do you think that came from? I'm I'm not telling you to not be happy about it. You ought to be tickled to death. You ought to be, you know, jumping up and down. But you ought to understand that I don't deserve this. This is not my doings. God touched me. God did this. And I'm just missing the point. Look, we miss the point because we hardened our hearts. Hard and impenitent hearts are another way of saying proud and untouchable. James said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, to the humble. Jesus really is returning. And the way things look, it's near. And you're not going to fix the world, but you can fix you. And one of the things you can fix is to soften your heart. And I can too. I can soften my heart. Do you really want the Lord to return to a heart that's hardened? I mean, do you want the Lord to return? And you go, not please, not now. I'm in the middle of something that I got to get finished. Is that really what you want? Is that really why, what the, is that really the thing? Here's the final point, and, and we're extra today, and, and please understand that when we have these sports Sundays, it's good to take time to introduce the, the teams and the coaches. I'm glad they're here, so glad. But here's the final point. We have to change. I have to change. Now, some of you will go home, and you'll watch the 24-hour news cycle this afternoon, and you'll say, Something's got to change. If they, don't, if they don't do something, we're going to end up with Hillary. If they don't do something, we're going to end up with Trump. I don't like lying Ted. And on and on and on and on it goes. And, and trust me, I'm as political as any creature you've ever seen. But here's what I know. I know that Ted and Donald and... Bernie, none of them are going to fix it. None of them are going to fix. None of them are going to fix it. The only thing that can happen is I can fix me. Amen. Now you ought to participate in the process, but we need to be fixed. 
I don't want to be proud. I don't want to be hard-hearted. I don't want to be dishonest about myself and who I really am. I, I, don't, I don't want, I want God to change me. Don't you want that? Don't you want to have a heart that is tender toward the things of God? Don't you want to be able to hear God's voice in your soul so that when God speaks, you say, wait a minute, did you hear that? No, I don't hear anything. Oh, it's God talking to me. He's trying to get through to us. He really is. I close with this story. In August of 2004, Hurricane Charlie, Hurricane Charlie, Charlie, Hurricane Charlie cut a path across the state of Florida. Many signs and billboards in the path of Charlie were no match for the violent storm. However, there was one billboard that resisted the hurricane's 100-mile-an-hour winds. And while the billboard was still standing, the advertisement that was there had been torn off when Hurricane Charlie hit, and it peeled back, and it revealed the message that was there before. And when the sun rose the next morning on Sand Lake Road in Orlando, the words on the billboard read, we need to talk, God. This world's a mess. I'm, we're gonna, this, this is the first of seven messages. I hope you'll be at every one. This world is a mess. You can't fix it. Neither can I. But I can fix me. I can I can fix what's going on with me, and I can stop being hard-hearted and judgmental. I can start loving the people that God loves, even when I disagree with everything they stand for. And I've got to. And so do you. You know why this world's so angry right now? And we are angry. We're trying to figure out what lives matter. We know that black lives matter. We know that white lives matter. We know that cop lives matter. We know that uh, Asian uh, lives matter. We know that, that poor people lives matter. We know, we, we, but we're mad about it. You know why we're mad about it? Because we're not soft in our, we don't have softened hearts. We're soft in our heads and hard in our hearts. It's okay to be hard-headed if you've got a soft heart. But to be hard-headed and to have a hard heart, not good. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. High and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Lift up your power in love and we sing holy, holy, holy. That's why Larry led the song this morning. And that's what I want you to take into your hearts. Would you bow your heads for prayer?